0: Well good to see you all uh, this morning. We're enjoying uh, working through this book of Acts and it's hard to believe we're already on chapter 15 this morning. We started all the way back in the fall just kind of going verse by verse through this section of scripture and uh, each week and I've mentioned this before I spent time and I uh, read lots of articles, commentaries, Bible studies, even listen to sermons on the section of scripture and, and try to identify because it's really, it's an account of the early church. It's not like a, a letter that you're picking out a theme. It's a historic account of what's happening in the church. And so I try, you may have noticed, to identify kind of a teachable themes in the sections. In the last couple weeks, we last week you may, may remember we talked about the fingerprints of God, noticing them Around us the week before, we were talking about ripe avocados. Do you remember that? Well, uh, this week, the, the the section of Scripture that we're in, it seemed like in the different resources I was looking at, there's a lot that was pointing towards this idea of navigating conflict. And so that's where we're going to uh, be looking this morning. But as I was reflecting on that, I was like, man, but we have the, the perfect church that doesn't have any conflict. So I'm not really sure if this is going to be applicable or not uh, until until, I'm just j- joking, I know that's part of the human experience. I, I realized that even problems or issues, conflicts, has broken into our student ministry with our student ministry directors. Take a look at this video uh, right here. Hey dude, can you do me a favor? Can you please stop ball? Yeah, it's kind of trying to get things done. I know you're busy working. Yeah, got lots to do. I got lots to do anyways. So the Lakers are having kind of a a rough go this year, huh? Gosh, you would go there, right? You know, it's frustrating. Lonzo Ball, obviously, is not what we thought he would be. Uh, However, we'll get there. I mean, look at those championships. We always bounce back. We got the 40s and the 50s represented, the 70s and the 80s, 16 NBA championships. We'll get it back. I'm not even concerned. Always got to bring up the 16, huh? Oh, did I hit a nerve? The Bulls have six, six NBA championships. I mean, we didn't have a Magic Johnson. Okay, we didn't have a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar no, but, before all this. So, like, we got Mike, telling yourself, Michael like, Jordan, the greatest player the, of the, all time, the the is the logo. one that, and look what he did, dude. Good thing. Best player of all time. How many does Kobe yeah. have? Right? Oh, he's got five, and he wasn't a robot, five? so whatever. What? He was a robot. What are you talking about? He was a robot. Everybody knows this. Who says this? Why do you think he can do that stuff? What are you talking about? The Germans about? built him. It was the thing that they worked with the Soviets. I, I don't even understand no. how you can think of it! I'm not gonna it! Go. Oh my goodness. Boom! Purple is the color of blood <laughs> that's inside of a body. Kobe Bryant is greater than Jordan. I wear this every single day. You think you're yes. the only person that wears a jersey underneath their clothes oh, to church every nice. day? Oh, nice. I oh, you. Have and a... I bleed oh, red, three. the color turn that three. normal people use. Oh, yeah. oh, Jordan. Jordan. Jordan, Jordan. A.K.A. Robot. This right here, Lakers. This I is not a robot, George this too. is not a robot. They say bulls. Oh, and they're under oh, my pants good. and they say bulls! Nice. Okay? Oh, yeah, you know He's not a robot. Hey. He plays basketball. He would beat you any day oh. of the week Oh, Kobe. When you try your best but you don't succeed When you get what you want but not what you need when you feel so tired, but you can't sleep Stuck in river uh, Hey guys, can we get your help in the well? Yep, yeah, let's see over there. already online. Uh, So we, that has over like 3,000 views. That was a highlight video. Every year we give our student ministry guys the option to create a video to help promote Easter. And that's what they came up with this year. And I was like, there's got to be a better use for it. So there it was. The idea of dissension, disunity, it's part of the human experience. Every single one of us. In fact, by definition, here's the definition of dissension, opposing opinions that are not easily resolved. Anybody had those before in a relationship, in a interaction, opposing opinions that are not easily resolved? Well, this morning in this section of scripture, I just feel like it's just jam-packed with tools and resources that I think will be helpful, even if we picked one of them to camp out on, tools and resources that'll help us work through conflict. Let me pray before we explore this section. God, thank you, for this chance to be together and even already uh, appropriately focusing on you this morning and this topic of uh, dissension and conflict, you have such a heart for unity within your church. You have such a, a heart for that, and your desire is for us to figure how to work through different opinions and different issues and navigate that appropriately and in God-honoring ways, we ask that you'd speak to us through this section of Scripture, that you'd be great, I'd be small, and you'd really bring these things to to life for us and bring, uh, bring exactly what we need to hear to our minds this morning. Speak to us specifically on this. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're in chapter 15, and we're going to go through the adventure of watching this story, but then, as I mentioned, try to identify some different themes as we unpack uh, each section. The first one is the simple idea of choosing fights wisely. Take a look in verse 1 here. It says, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and to the elders about this question. Let's stop there and just a little side discussion for a second here. How many of you have seen a photo before that's clearly been doctored, like one that you, you look at it and as you look at it, you're like, there, there's been some touch-up works, whether, whether it's adding abs in a fitness magazine or, or whatever it is. We had the experience some years back, we took our, our little family, the little kids when they were young, into one of those mall photography shops, like the ones that like in one hour you can have picture-perfect pictures, whatever, and uh, picture-perfect, uh, anyway, so here, here's a picture of what we came up with. So our three kids, none of them would pose uh, correctly to be together, so they took separate photos of each one of them and brought them together in a merger attempt uh, to bring them here. So first off, Chase looks like he's flying in. Like, what is this black backdrop? Looks like he's flying in. His head's the same size as our infant, which is weird to me, but then this is my favorite part. You might not catch it at first. My daughter, Alexa, who's on the left there we noticed upon further review, we're looking at it and we're like, wait a second, why is her left arm look so much smaller than her right arm? As we approached them about it, they said, yeah, her arm didn't look right. So we, so we replaced it with another kid's arm. So I'm like, what photos place Puts in another kid, So forever, like, do you see it now that you're looking at it? You're like, why is that one so tiny and one so big? And, 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 so, and so here, clearly, it's been hard to look at that photo over the years, but it made a lot of good jokes about that. And I was thinking about that. You're like, why are you bringing up weird family photos? Do you guys have one like this? Maybe not. Uh, but but uh, we can take that off. It's a little disturbing. Uh, but but here, here's the idea. And you're like, why are you talking about doctored up photos? What I love about the picture of the church here is it is no doctored up photo. It's not the the best foot forward. It's not just the presentation of only the good stuff. It includes the good and the bad. And isn't that what the church is supposed to be? In this room, we've got lots of junk going on and all kinds of relationships and all kinds of issues. We don't have to pretend that we are something that we're not. Here's the the idea that's presented here is you have these men that are coming to Antioch. You remember how the church is kind of formed, how it's expanded to the city of Antioch, which is primarily Gentiles. The Gentiles there have embraced Christ under Paul and Barnabas' teaching, and they've embraced Christ with a simple understanding that it's by Christ alone, through faith alone, by grace alone. There's there's no addition of anything needed to be saved. But you have showing up upon that area. You have others that are bringing the idea. What does it say that they bring? They bring the idea that circumcision and adherence to Mosaic law is necessary as a prerequisite to being saved. In other words, Jesus plus obedience to the law is how somebody is saved. That, that's, that's an issue. And at first, upon this, you might read that and you'd be like, what maybe if you've studied the, the New Testament, you're like, what's, their, what's, the, what's with their fixation on circumcision always being like the key fight that they fight? I wanted to point to just a little rationale to that. This is found back in Genesis chapter 17. It's not something they made up. Genesis 17, and God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. It's clearly laid out. Moves on, verse 14. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off, no pun intended, from his people. He has broken my covenant. So, They have, here this is important to understand, this isn't just something they came up with. This is literally chapter and verse that they're able to point to, to be like, hey, you tell us, we've been told that we're cut off, how can you say that somebody's a part of the family if they haven't been circumcised? So you see, you might even suggest, this is a worthy debate. This is a, a, a worthy conversation because they're understanding, they have a chapter and verse, and that's what theology, why theology is so important. It's not just having the chapter and verse, it's understanding how it all works together, how it all works together. So that's the confusion. And when we're trying to apply or bring uh, application to us today, that's why I titled this section the idea that we have to choose our arguments, choose our fights wisely. The question that if we simply asked, is this worth it? Is it worthy of an argument? Is it worthy of conflict? Man, I think that would rid so many issues with that simple question, is it worth it? My wife and I were talking about that this weekend, and we feel like over the years we've really grown in that. When we're newlyweds, maybe you guys had this too, we fought about the dumbest stuff all the time. Anybody else attest that since we're coming clean? Uh, I, I was thinking maybe I was alone in this, but then I brought it up in our church office, and man, Nancy Angel was ready to give me a list of 20 things. You know, uh, John was like, Well, do you want a top 10? Do you want a top 20 list of dumb things? Like everybody had everything to, to share. Then I go to Josh. I'm like, Josh, is there, can you think of when you were first married some dumb things that you guys fought about? He stares at me blankly. I'm like, can't you think of it? He's like, wow, oh, one time we thought about, uh, about cleaning the house or something or argued for a couple minutes. Then I thought Lindsay came in a little bit later, and I'm like, oh, now I'm going to get the real dirt. I ask her the same question. She stares at me blankly. And so we've asked them to leave our church. Um, no, I'm just kidding. We, we haven't done that, but here, here's the idea. Typically, it's a process of learning this filter is It worth it. I'll tell you what, many of us right now could just go home. You're done with what you needed to learn today. You have to assess whether it's worth it or not, what you're wrestling through. Verse 3, second big idea. Seek wise counsel. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. It's kind of the idea of telling about God's fingerprints. Verse 4. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So basically, you're seeing what's happening here. Same issue there as it was in Antioch, some confusion. But I, what I, I love here to see is the wisdom that's displayed in their next move. They, rather than power up, Paul and Barnabas could have done that, rather than drawing lines in the sand that could have led to disunity and even separation within the church, what do they choose to do instead? They choose to pull wise counsel into the conversation. They choose to pull others in, not not in the gossiping kind of way, but going to somebody that's mutually respected and working with them to navigate the conflict. I'd suggest that way too many times important discussions happen in isolation with no outside input. Isn't that supposed to be? what the church offers as a resource of of saying, man, we can can provide wisdom. We can come along, even whether it's couples or whether it's in, in conflicts between individuals, allowing others to speak truth into the situation. It breaks my heart to watch how many marriages over the years I've seen that have been severed or even separated with issues that you're like, man, with a little bit of humility and a little bit of input from outside wisdom, man, they could have worked through those things. They weren't insurmountable issues. Have you guys even seen that in your relational circles? You're like, man, if it could have just included other input into the conversation, God could have rescued what was potentially lost there. But it's also important, just as a side note, to make sure that when you're adding input into the conversation, that you're looking down the right avenues for input, that you're seeking good biblical input from people that have an understanding and a proven track record of God's word in their life. That's key as well. It's not about like, hey, I was talking to Vinny at the bar the other day and he told me, like, none of that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying I'm seeking input from people that are godly and could provide godly counsel. So here is what ha- happens is they've brought the input. They've come all the way. I love this. To going 300 miles to Jerusalem to mutually respected leaders to gain input. Pretty cool, right? They're saying we, we hold this. We recognize the importance. This is too big of a deal to try to solve on our own. So they come to mutually respected leaders and they start pursuing uh, some kind of reconciliation with their input. So it's interesting too, that it's guys that used to be Pharisees. So former Pharisees that have now believed are taking kind of their old baggage of a workspace religion and trying to impose that on new believers. So you're tracking on what's happening here. So verse six, says the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after, they had been, after there had been much debate, again, again, the idea that it's not the picture-perfect church, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Stop there just for a second. The idea here is you notice that it's not some kind of a crazy congregational meeting where everybody shares their two cents. Instead, they pull all the spiritual leadership together and in that that opportunity, they take some time to hash through it. And then finally, I like it, that Peter, or one of the respected leaders, moves the conversation past opinion to consider what is God's heart on this matter? What is, what is God's heart on this matter? And isn't that so often what we need to do is move past man's opinions. All right, what, what's God's heart on this? He starts walking through the, his, his past trend, the pattern of what they've already seen with God, pointing them to what? What does he point them to? He points them back to what we had studied in chapter 10 when Cornelius, do you remember the centurion that had come into a saving relationship to Jesus and his whole family, all of his friends in a a Gentile household, there's a big revival and remember what God does to confirm that? He sends the Holy Spirit showing evidence that nothing that they had done based on the law or any kind of rituals or anything was a requirement in order to be saved. That's his big idea, Peter's idea there. He's saying it wasn't because of something they did personally. It was simply by faith alone. In verse 11, he summarizes, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. It's not based on works. I like his other point that he he makes there in the same section is he says, he says, why would you test God on this? He says, if we've been unable to successfully, if we Jews have been unable to successfully keep the law, why in the world would we try to impose it on them? If we can't do it, why, try, why expect that they would be able to do it? So he makes this beautiful point, pointing to God's heart in the pattern that they've already seen in Scripture. So often it's a valuable resource if you can slow down enough to seek God's heart on an issue in the middle of a conflict. Man, God what's what's God's heart on this? I was talking to a friend of mine who's dealing with a a uh, rebellious teenage son. I don't know if we've ever had one of those in this church before, uh, but uh, a rebellious teenager son. Uh, and, and he's talking about it. He's like, man, sometimes I, I wrestle through this tension. Do I, do I play the God the Father role and, and and beat him down hard with that? Or do I play more the Jesus Christ and extend grace? He's kind of giving that parallel. And I was, I was talking to him about it. I was like, well, do you think, do you think that he's wondering at this point what your stance is on these different issues? Do you think he's, do you think he's still uh, wondering kind of what your rules are or what your expectations are? And he's like, no, he's heard them a thousand times. And I said, do you, do you think maybe he needs to hear less about the, the rules and a little bit more see what your heart is and the reasoning behind it? and it was a great conversation as he's processing through that i was thinking about that similar for this in our conflict what is god's heart on the situation what if we slow down enough to seek him on that in this instance peter moves them towards that talking about what is god's heart on the issue and making sure that they're clear on scripture as well verse 13 after they finished because that's where we see god's heart after they finished speaking james replied brothers "'Listen to me, Simeon,' another name for Peter, "'has related how God first visited the Gentiles "'to take from them a people for his name. "'And with this, the word of the prophets agree. "'Just as it is written, "'After this, all this, I will return "'and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. "'I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it, "'that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord "'and all the Gentiles who are called by my name,' "'says the Lord.'" who makes these things known from old. In that culture, the way that it worked is the person in highest position of authority would be have the opportunity to speak last in a discussion. Does that make sense? So in, the, in this scenario, uh, James, who was who? What's his, his claim to fame? A brother of Jesus, like that's that's a pretty big deal to me. That's always been a, a real validating factor of Jesus, of uh, the authenticity of who Jesus Christ was. If you can convince your younger brother that you are God in the flesh, like that's that's pretty impressive. Like the, the ultimate skeptic. And so J- James, here after Jesus, now it's about 50 years after Jesus, is standing up and saying, hey, let, let's, let's look to God's word on this. What have we seen? What, what pattern have we seen? And he points out this passage in Amos, one of a, the, the prophets that had predicted and said, it's always been part of the plan to include Gentiles in God's saving work. It's always been part of the plan. So he moves it again past just man's opinion. They were already left silent. Now he's kind of putting the the final stake in the ground. This isn't something that we came up with. This is God's plan, and his word affirms that. What if, what if the next time you're in the middle of an argument or debate or discussion, as we like to call it with someone, what if you said, hey, why don't we take a a little bit of time? What if we sought God's word on that? Like, talk about changing the tone and the conversation completely. What what if we look to to Scripture? Because the wonderful thing about Scripture is it speaks to every area of our life. And you're like, Scott, are you sure you want to say every? I'm like, whether it's directly or with principles, yes, every single area that we deal with has something in Scripture that speaks to that issue. What if we started looking to God's Word to help us navigate conflict? To address situations that we're in the middle of. I'll share an example of this. Maybe it's a silly one. As the end of the school year gets closer, my, my children's complaint meter goes higher and higher. Anybody else with kids notice this? Like there, it's, it's like constantly, oh, but dad, it's, it's normal. Every, every kid hates school, but I'm like, hey, listen, I got a verse for you. Philippians 2.14, do all things without complaining. all things without complaining. It's not just my idea. Maybe that's using it like a weapon, but uh, you get the idea that scripture speaks to everything. Even the little practical day-to-day situations that we find ourselves in can be addressed by God's word. He uses that and he moves them towards in this conversation towards resolve by bringing it back to God's word. What if we, husbands, offered that to our marriages? What if we led in that area? What a beautiful thing. What if wives, instead of rebuking or cur- what if you just gently introduced, ah, have you considered this part of scripture? Man, that could change our conflicts drastically here. Then as it moves on, as it progresses, it's uh, verse 19. It says, therefore, James is still talking. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from that which has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Stop there for a second. I'll got to tell you a quick story. Uh, a, a pastor that I know, he was away at, a, just a couple of weeks ago, was away at a conference and uh, his son was being watched by his sister. So she was picking him up from school, and uh, he's about six years old, gets picked up, and it sees, he's in the car, and they're driving off, and he sees, I'm going to make up names, uh, sees his little friend Billy, and he goes, oh, there, there's Billy. I call him doo Head. The, the, the mom is just like, or the sister's just like, what? Why are you calling him? Like, that, that's not appropriate. And he's like, oh, no, but he calls me bleep, 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 bleep. Starts filling in like all these curse words that the other, that Billy calls him. And she's like, he calls you what? And the kid, and and Tommy, we'll go with that with his name. Tommy's just like panicked. He realized that he's blown it by saying those words out loud. And so this was his response to his his sister. He says, well, listen, you don't want to hear it. I don't want to say it. So I'm not going to repeat it. And so so it it diffuses the situation. You don't want to hear it. I don't want to say it. So I'm not going to repeat it because why? There's certain words we just don't talk about. There's certain words we don't like to say. And the reason I bring that up, you're like, well, this is a stretch, Scott. Is this word here, compromise, compromise. We're taught from childhood that we're to hold our ground. We're not to budge. We're going to dig in and be right regardless. This idea of compromise in our culture and our language is often seen as a bad word. But I would suggest, as we're trying to navigate and work through conflict, it's a must. It's a must. Figuring out what areas, I'm not saying, don't write me letters. I'm not saying compromising on scripture. I'm not saying that. But areas that are, that are up to debate, areas that are up to preference. Unity always trumps preference. Unity always trumps preference. We need to elevate people over the prize of being right. Over the prize of, I, I care about you. More than I care about being right. And I'm preaching to myself right now in this moment. I care about you more than being right. Isn't that? what's key in interacting with people, elevating unity. Jesus was so committed to us as the church, us as the, 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 the congregants of the church, Big C Church, that unity was to be elevated as a priority. And that's what we see is happening here. James is saying, man, we need to figure out. Yes, we've resolved this. It's by grace alone through faith alone. That is resolved. But we all still have to figure out how we're going to play nice together. Do you see that? He's figuring out, all right, they they all still have to figure out how to do life together, how they're going to interact. What what does it look like? What does it look like to break bread between Jews and Gentiles? Like meals were a big thing then. So he gives them some practical things there. It's some very practical things there. He says, what four things you need to avoid that were all popular with pagan idolatry. Things that are sacrificed to idols, avoid that. Sexual immorality, Avoid that. Things that animals that have been strangled, don't participate in that. Meat with blood in it. Avoid that. You might be saying, why are those things relevant? In that day and age, everybody in all the entire Roman culture would have known those are all part of rituals of pagan worship. So they're just saying, speaking specific to that audience, saying, step away from your adulterous neighbors and the things that they participate in. Pull away from that. So he's giving them very practical things rather than just saying, no, you just need to step it up and be tough. Jews and Gentiles, like uh, get over this. No, here's a, a compromise that he sends them with. So here, the idea there, compromise where possible for us. My question to us, how are we doing on that? How are we doing with elevating the person over being right? How are we doing with that? last one. And this is what it wraps up with. And I'm not going to read this whole section. I'm going to give a little summary, verse 22 through 35. What they do is you find out that the audience is fully content with his suggestions. They're, they're like, okay, this will work. And, and so they decide that they're going to send two ambassadors with Paul and Barnabas back to Antioch to deliver the conclusions of the matter. Does that make sense? They're going to send them back with the, the conclusions. So they write a letter and send it back with them. The conclusions is basically saying this, exactly what we've already talked about. Hey, you don't have, it's simply by faith alone, but it would benefit you to step away from some of these pagan practices. And so in other words, you don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to embrace all of Mosaic law all, all at once. That's not a requirement or expectation for being saved. Verse 31, and when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Let's think about that for a second. Grown men reading this letter finding out that they don't have to be circumcised. It would cause a collective sigh like you've never heard in a town before. Like this would have been a very happy, joyous occasion. They find out there's not the expectation of that in order for them to fit in on the in crowd. Good news. So here is my application for us as we wrap up. This is one of the pieces that I think we miss so often is seek closure when you're dealing with an area of conflict. Figure out how to bring it to closure. I think so often bitter roots take place in relationships because they've never actually dealt. With prior prior issues, they've never brought it full circle. What do they do here in this case? They acknowledge some areas. They're like, "Hey, some guys came down from from our town. They weren't representing us. We acknowledge that was that that was a problem." And so instead, we're giving you the the the, the new plan of how things are going to move forward. I'm like thinking about that. I'm like, isn't that the same thing that we're trying to do when we're resolving conflict? Acknowledge where you've blown it if you have. There's that wonderful two words. I guess that's three. I am sorry. What, What if we've talked about that as a church before? If that's not part of your regular language, you are missing a wonderful tool. You're missing the key tool. I'm sorry. I've blown it. Those are another couple of words that you can add into the mix. Don't follow that with any excuse and you can say, I'm sorry, I've blown it, but leave the but out of it. No buts. Like leave that simply own where you've wronged it. That's how you move towards the conclusion. And here's another important piece. From this moment forward, this is what we're going to do differently. This is how we're going to change because we don't want to keep going into this pattern or this cycle. We're going to do this differently moving forward same idea that they displayed here with the people moving forward you're gonna flee from idolatrous uh, patterns in your in, in your eating and all of this they're saying that's how things are going to look different for us when we're concluding we're bringing things to closure in our disagreements hey own your junk and then move towards how things are going to be different moving forward i would propose out of these different options if we snagged even one of them from the day. How about, how about these? Choose fights more wisely. Anybody got a nugget there you could take with you? Choose fights more wisely. That would rid like 98% of our fights. Seek wise counsel. Man, what a powerful tool we have within the body of Christ. Other believers, respected believers, even our, our, our elders would love to be a resource. Our, our pastoral team, we'd love to be a resource here even at the church look for God's heart on the issue, examine scripture, compromise. It's not a bad word when possible. And lastly, seeking closure to move past the circumstance. These are all tools that I think would be wonderful to put in your tool belt. If you don't have an issue or conflict to deal with it right now, it'll happen, I promise. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for your word and just how relevant it is and how applicable it is even a couple thousand years later. We thank you and just thinking through what was at stake here with this conversation, with this debate. What, what did somebody actually need to be saved? So encouraging that the uh, minds were brought together and your Holy Spirit gu- guided them and led them to conclude that it's simply by faith alone, not based on any kind of works or any kind of uh, ritual. It's simply based on your finished work on the cross and we praise you for that. Pray, God, that we'd take some of this and we'd apply it to our lives, that we'd be uh, able to implement these ideas that are demonstrated in the early church, God. We need your grace, we need your spirit in order to do that, in Jesus Christ's name, amen. That video that we started with, it had a kind of a silly conclusion. There's certain things that, that separate us, but then there's something that brings us all together. Do you remember the conclusion was a... Easter brings us all together, and it made me think of this song, how the cross, that's what allows, the the empty cross, the finished work of Jesus Christ, is what allows us to work through conflict, because he's extended that grace, we can extend it to each other, amen? Have a wonderful Sunday, God bless you.